Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Clarifying Christianity Part 2, and it is part of the New Church Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. There's hope for days like this. Amen? <laughs> I, I'm already, you know, I'm already hearing a bunch of you praying for snow. Why would you do that? This is perfect, man. This is perfect. You know, they always, they always say, you can only pull so many clothes off. And, you know, <laughs> well, to keep your clothes on, right? <laughs> it's nice in here, though, isn't it? Well, last week we talked about Christian accuracy. As we started a three-part message, and we only got through the first point, which is the our point, our, our, our idea is to bring clarification to Christianity. That's what I think Acts chapter 15 is about, clarifying Christianity, because we have these, the, we have these, these, what we call the Bible, I mean, some people call them Judaizers, people who wanted to put the new Gentile, non-Jewish believers under all of the commands and ceremonial commands, clean laws, ritualistic laws, health laws, sacrificial laws of the Torah, of the Old Testament, of the law of Moses. So Apostle Paul was so concerned about this, and though he was having this incredible amount of success in Asia preaching the gospel, he came home in order, he came back to Jerusalem rather, in order to be a part of a meeting where all the church would get together and discuss what is Christianity, what is required to follow Christ. What does it mean to follow him? And last week we talked about accuracy. And in a nutshell, I said, we need to go from is it helpful to is it true? Americans especially, we're interested, is it helpful? If I tell them about being a Christian, about Jesus, well, will it help me? First century people were more concerned was, is it true? And I would say that's what we should be more concerned about, is it true? You see, Christianity is not philosophy. Christianity is theology. Christianity, we believe in it not because it makes us feel a certain way or because it's helpful to us. We believe in it because it is true. It is not... Philosophy is something one realizes. Theology is something that is revealed. It's not realization, it's revelation from God. The Bible calls the Scripture the testimony of God. And Israel believed, and Israel believed, and one of the things that they embraced, and they kept getting away from this, but this is how God set them up. God set them up to, to be a group of people who only needed Him, who only needed His blessing, who only needed His approval, who only needed His wisdom. And as long as they believed that, and as long as they embraced that, they prospered, and they succeeded, and they won all their battles. But whenever they be quit believing, 
that God was all they needed, they would begin to lose their battles and they would begin to go into idolatry. So we talked about that last week, about accuracy. Today, we move into liberty and community. It relates, by the way, to two dimensions of grace. It's very important. Two dimensions of grace. The first dimension of grace we find in the idea of liberty that I'm going to talk about in a few seconds. The second dimension of grace we discover within the context of community and the people of God. The first dimension of grace is this, God's unmerited favor. Let's all say that together, God's unmerited favor. That's the first dimension of grace. That's the first dimension of grace that we discover. That's the first dimension of grace when you bring your baby home from the hospital. Uh, that's what you just give them unmerited favor. You don't start trying to, to get them to do anything. There, you know, I've, I've said so many times a baby is a canal that makes, one de makes demands on one end and takes no responsibility on the other. You just show them love. You just bond with them with love. But the second dimension of, of grace is the power to know and do the will of God. That's the transformation that happens. That we are loved and that we are energized. We are loved unconditionally, but we are energized to act with love to the world around us. I want to read three different passages of Scripture here, right quickly. Galatians 5, 6. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised. Remember, that was the issue in Acts 15. That was the guiding issue. They wanted every male to be circumcised before they could be a Christian. And there was more to it than just circumcision. It was the whole package of obeying the Torah. There's no benefit, though, it says, in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Then go to Acts 15. We can just read a few verses there. Verse 1, some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers glad. Now we're going to jump down to verse 10. Now then, this, this is uh, the apostles talking to these people who are wanting to put all of these rules on the Gentiles. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Rules without grace is a crushing burden that none of us can bear. As we said, some of the Jewish Christians were trying to bring these non-Jewish Christians under all the rules that had come through Moses, ignoring the fact that they couldn't keep all the rules. Romans 3.23 says, You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor it by breaking it. He's talking to Jews there. So Acts 15.11 makes it clear that even in our zeal to please God, we can create standards that none of us can keep. We can create rules that none of us can bear. If you've been turned off by religion here today, it's probably one of those reasons. Probably has something to do with that. 
The Jews had rules without grace. Later we find that some of the Jewish Christians, the Gentile Jewish Christians, the non-Jewish Christians, tried to have grace without rules. That didn't work either. Jude chapter 1 verse 4 says, For certain men have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for liberty, a license for immorality, rather. So let's talk about liberty. Tim Keller said, what makes Christian, Christianity unique is that all other religions are basically advice. The gospel is not. First of all, advice is about what you must do. It's news, the gospel he's talking about, is about what has been done for you by Christ Jesus, by Jesus Christ. So your salvation is not something you achieve, but it's something you receive. Now, most people in modern times, most people in our day, most people who would pr are probably sitting in this room today, don't struggle with that works mentality, getting saved by working for God. And, and, and they, most people fully embrace that we're saved by, by, by grace and not by works. Our real struggle is how we think about our performance after we have been, been, been received by Christ, after we have become a Christ follower. It's how, it's how we begin to think about, how we continue to think about performance in a very slavish way. The Greek word for save and savior in the New Testament means to set free, to liberate, to rescue, or to be a liberator, or one who sets people free. See, in the time of Christ, that, though, that word was used for teachers who liberated students from ignorance, or doctors who liberated people from sickness, or leaders who liberated people from an enemy. The name Jesus in the Greek is the Hebrew name Joshua, and it meant deliverer or liberator. So, so Jesus comes to liberate us from bondages and liberate us from, liberate us from having a religion that stresses us out. Amen? How many of you are just looking for a religion, a religion that will stress you out? There are three kinds of bondage that Christianity is designed to deliver us from. First of all, Christian liberty delivers us from the burden of sin and shame. And I know that you probably think, Pastor, you don't even need to talk about that. Everybody knows that. Yes, I know we know it mentally, but there are people in this room who are living in deep shame and deep regret over the failures of their life. You know, for a while, society seemed to be in harmony with this message, but they've discovered that sin is a real force and that what we do sinfully has lasting consequences. Spend a little time on social media, especially Twitter, as I do often, and you'll see that people want to punish sin. People want to shame you for what you have done that's not been in line with goodness, that's not been in line with grace, that's not been in line with love. But praise God, no matter what society does, by the way, the gospel, Christianity, Christianity is coming, Christianity doesn't come from below, it comes from above. Christianity is the kingdom of God coming down. The Bible says in the, in the book of Revelation, it depicts the heavenly city Jerusalem coming down as a bride adorned for her husband. So we imagine this beautiful thing, this beautiful entity, this beautiful, beautiful personage coming down from God to earth. So no matter what 
don't, don't get caught up in the political hysteria because what we have, see politics, and I pardon me for a side trail, but politics always comes from below. Politicians are always, always trying to get the opinion of the people organized. Either affect their opinion or find out their opinion. Politicians, you hear them today all the time, they're standing and say, the American people want blank. I am standing for what the American people want. Well, that's fine, and that's great, and that has its place. Civil government is of God. But the government of God is not about what the people want. The government of God is what God has decided, what God has decreed. Amen? That's the government of God. It's coming down. It's the kingdom of God coming down to earth. So imagine, so no matter how, no matter how society handles sin and guilt, the gospel never wavers on this point. Imagine no shame in your life. Not because you're arrogant and unfeeling. Not because you're a sociopath. We know those people that have no shame. And we wish they did have a little shame. But the gospel is not socio sociopathy. It's not that. It's because you're aware of the cross. Hebrews 8.12, and I will forgive their wickedness and will never rem again remember their sins. And God actually makes our guilt come alive. When we go to the cross, when we go to the cross and we see how bad our sin really is, it revives a feeling of shame. If you really understand the cross, your first emotion will be shame. Your first emotion will be embarrassment. I did that. I'm capable of that. But that same cross, that same cross that reveals your sin, heals you of your sin. It's like this. Jesus says at the cross, you're so sinful that I had to die for you. But you are so loved, I was glad to do it. That's the liberty of the cross. The song says, would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. Would you or evil of victory to win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Thank you for that. Somebody just say, praise God that there's power in the blood today. Christianity liberates us also, not only from the burden of sin and shame, but it liberates us from the burden of opinions and expectations. Yes. Most of us believe in salvation by grace. And if you were to preach a salvation by works, you would empty your church in the 21st century. But that doesn't mean we're free. The burden of proving ourselves, the burden of the future, whether we will live up to our own expectations, the crippling burden of parents' expectations. See, tra traditional culture said you have to please your parents. Modern culture, you have to, to decide what you want. You, what, you have to decide by the time you're 12 what you're going to be. Uh, you, you can be the first woman president. You can be the first woman to walk on the moon. That's not freeing. That's crushing. Christ came to set us free from the burden of looking successful just as much as he came to deliver us from the burden of our past sins. See, it's become cultural holiness. All cultures develop a pseudo-holiness. 
the problem with cultural holiness, which we all have, and we don't really know the reason. We just know something's right or something's wrong. You know, I remember one time we had a, uh, we had a missions banquet here, and been a number of years ago, so you probably don't remember it. I, I have tried to forget it with all my heart, because uh, I, uh, I thought it would really be an awesome idea to get a group of Africans from Providence to come and serve the meal to us, the people from uh, the, the Guyanese, people from Ghana. And so I contacted this church in Providence, and uh, I had this missionary from Zimbabwe who was here. And when I told him that afternoon what I had done, <laughs> he started to laugh. And he said, you think they're going to be here on time? You really think they're going to? So sure enough, like we, you know, we Americans, we're on time. And we gathered in the gym, and I don't think it was 6 o'clock or something like that. No food. No, no Ghanaians. And then they started to trickle in. They were getting taxis from Providence. They were all riding in taxis. And they would have, they would have uh, uh, bowls of food in their laps in the taxis for this banquet. And, and I, had, I had put a lady in the church in charge of it, and I thought, well, she'll handle it. She'll organize it. And, um, I mean, it was like an hour and a half. We were like two hours late getting started. That's when the food arrived. And you know what? Americans are like, you know, if you are righteous, you are on time. Because that's righteousness. Punctual, diligence. We can know the verses about diligence. And the Africans are thinking, you Americans are totally displeasing God with your anxiety. Your anxiety is so displeasing to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> You're grieving the Holy Spirit with your anger and your frustration. <laughs> we all bring our culture to this matter of holiness and I want to tell you something. The cross will set you free from cultural holiness. Amen? Christianity is liberty from the burden of being. And, and this is one that you're not going to probably relate to right away. Because I ran into this verse in Ecclesiastes years ago. And because I have met these people, and I have been these people. <laughs> I want to quickly add that. Uh, it says, do not be overly righteous. So Christianity is liberty from the burden of being overly righteous. I, I meet a lot of people who use their Christian liberty to do as they please, right? But I also meet a lot of people all the time who labor under, the, under rules that God is not asking of them. But they think he is. I, I, know, I know people who can't take a day of leisure because they feel God only wants them to serve others and be productive. I know people who feel guilty if they get angry. They somehow have told themselves that God doesn't approve of anger. And that's, the Bible says be angry. You really, it's, it's like a command. Be angry. And sin not, the rest of the verse. But I obey that command all the time. <laughs> I, I get angry. The Bible says God is angry with the, with, the, with the wicked every day. So if God gets angry at least once a day, I think I should be godly. 
I know people who feel guilty if they stand up for themselves. If they defend themselves, they feel guilty. I know people who feel they have to please everybody all the time. I know people who feel like failures if they don't stay with their Bible reading program. They have failed God and they have failed the world. I know people who, you know, people we judge because we have imagined. Do you know about this? I don't know if you know about this. Maybe it's just pastors who understand this. An unattainable Christian personality. Do you know about the unattainable Christian personality? It, it's, it, it's someone who is like a Stepford wife. You ever see the movie Stepford Wives? It's a Stepford wife. They, they, never, they never offend. And they never get upset. And they have no variation in their personality. But if I read Romans 12 correctly, if you know what Romans 12 is, it's where the gifts, of the, nine different gifts are, are mentioned. All of those gifts require a different personality type. There's someone who's merciful, someone who's a prophet. Do you think a prophet and a mercy person has the same type of personality? But, but we've developed these ideas. We'll go, well, she is so bossy. She, she is, that is not Christian to be bossy. Well, God created like 600 commandments. So God's pretty bossy. <laughs> well, he, just, he just blurts out what he thinks. That's not very Christian to just say what you think. Well, why isn't it very Christian to say what you think? The Bible says those who feared the Lord spake often one to another. And a book of remembrance was written. Don't you imagine, and that's the book of Malachi, that, that those people were saying what they thought all the time? We can develop this perfect little Christian person. You know, Sherry and I experienced this when, when, when we got started in the pastorate and we, you know, we got married and people would think, people would say, well, Sherry doesn't seem like a pastor's wife. <laughs> because they, they had this Saturday Night Live church lady as an imagination of what a pastor's wife is. I think we have some bondage. I don't think all the bondage is all under the law of Moses. I think we have some today. I think we have our own ideas. I think we have, some of you don't know this term, but I'll use it, legalism. I think we have... 21st century legalism in some of these ways that we've determined if you are a Christian, you're going to be a certain type of person. When, when look at the world around us and the variety that God has created, the varieties in the animal world, the varieties in the plant world, the varieties of physical appearances in this building, the varieties of the way we are, I think we need to get free. Amen? And let me tell you something. There should be no place where you can more authentically be yourself than in the church. Study the spiritual gift list and tell me how you could have the diversity of gifts if you had only one single Christian personality. See, when I give you Jesus, I'm not giving you a cookie. I'm giving you a cure. You, you, know, you, know, that's why, you know what I mean by that statement? If I had a chocolate chip cookie up here and I said, would you like a chocolate chip cookie? It's, you might say, no, I like oatmeal raisin. 
I like peanut butter, or I'm not hungry. But if you had terminal cancer, and I had a pill that was a cure for your cancer, you would say, let me have that. I want it. We often present Christianity like it's a cookie. Would you like him? Do you like the, would you like, do you like the taste of Christianity? Does it, does it, does it soothe your palate? Is it, is it, does it appeal to you? Are you hungry? Oh, you're not hungry, fine. It's not a cookie, it's a cure for what's wrong with you. And what's wrong with you is you have a, you have a slavish way of trying to attain salvation and please God that will circumvent the cross, that will ignore the cross, and you will try to earn your own salvation through human effort and ignore the grace of God expressed at Calvary for you and for me where Jesus bled and died and I don't want his death to be in vain by me trying to do some sort of homemade salvation. All of this begs the question, since we know that rules without grace is crushing, but we also know that grace without rules is devastating. How do we know how do we know when grace goes too far? Being liberated from the burden of being successful, taken too far, can lead you into the equal crushing habit of being undisciplined, unmotivated, and lazy. Well, God had an answer. God had an answer for us not letting grace go too far. And it's called the church. Not, not another rule book, not another five books that we have to memorize, but God created this thing called the church, this thing that we know as Christian community, and he's filled people with the Holy Spirit, and he's given people gifts, and he's given us the New Testament scriptures, and he said, go figure it out. Isn't that awesome? You go, and you be a church, and you figure out when grace goes too far. And I'm going to give you revelation and knowledge, and I'm going to give you wisdom, and you're going to talk to each other, and you're going to read the scriptures together, and you're going to study the Bible together, and you're going to be a church, and you're going to, you people are, are not just going to be people who got forgiven, but you're going to become people who began, become transformed as you live in the, this microcosm of the kingdom of God called the church. Verse 28, I love this verse, man, this is awesome. It seemed good, and here they've had all this conversation about the liberty that these Gentiles must not be made to come under all the elements of the Torah. And, and, and it's a very, very practical reasons, by the way. The, 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 this, this church was exploding, and there was no, no way there was no way that the sacrificial system with the temple at the center of worship was going to work. Pe people weren't going to be able to go from Rome to Jerusalem for Sunday, Saturday service. They weren't going to be able to go from Athens to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. So, so God, in his infinite wisdom, makes you the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
makes every one of you the temple of God. And God in his infinite wisdom puts his, allows his son to go to the cross and become the scapegoat for all of humanity so that no one ever had to kill a lamb or a turtle dove. No one ever had to bring a physical sacrifice again because the sacrifice was done. All we had to do now is go live the life in the spirit. Live life in relationship to one another. It's, so he says, I'm sorry I got carried away there. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Goodbye. <laughs> What really stands out to me here is they saw, listen, they saw the church as a source of counsel and a place where lifestyle was discovered. What the church did not do, here's, let me tell you some things they didn't do. They did not even consider a law, Old Testament law-like response to the Gentile sins. You know, he tells them here to avoid sexual immorality. It's safe to assume by telling them to refrain from, from sexual immorality, they probably weren't refraining from it. If they had been under the Old Testament law, the stonings would begin. You didn't mess around sharing your secrets under the old law. Because they didn't have a counseling program for sex addicts. You hear me? You know why? You know why they didn't have a counseling program? You know why they didn't have Celebrate Recovery? Huh? Somebody guess. <laughs> yeah, that, that's how they took care of sex addictions in the old, under, the old law, under the old law. So did, didn't that make you just a tiny bit grateful for grace? Can't you just somebody say praise the Lord or something? <laughs> no. They didn't do that. They didn't pronounce, though, there were no rules. They didn't say, go do as you please. Jesus died on the cross. Have all the sex you want with whoever you want. Eat, eat things. Go, to, go back to the idol temples where you came out of. And they, they knew that if they went back, they knew that these Gentiles went back to these idol temples and bought that meat that was there. for the. By the way, it was the best meat for the best price. People brought their very best meat to their idols. And then after it was already, you know, used meat is cheap. <laughs> so <laughs> you can really get a bargain on used meat. And so it was the best meat for the best price. And he tells, but, but there were like bad things going on down in those idol temples. There were orgies and stuff like that happening in the idol temples. And so they said, we better keep our Gentiles from going back, back there. It's like we might tell you, stop, stop, going, stop clubbing. Stop hanging out at the bars. You know, not a good idea. You're probably not, your salvation is just not going to survive in that environment, right? Unless you really get full of the Holy Ghost, and then you can go back and preach in the bars, right? <laughs> they didn't tell everyone to follow their conscience. They didn't tell everyone to go figure it out. What did they do? They studied the scripture and prayed together, and they said, it seems good to us. They used their thoughts. They used their emotions. They see, it seems good, they use their discernment, it seems good to us in the Holy Spirit. By studying the word together and praying together, they got 
wisdom from God, and they established the limits of liberty. How many of you know liberty requires limits? The Jewish rabbis had a saying, the only free person is the one who's concerned with Torah. As the rabbis tell it, God was shopping around. He shopped around the law. This is one of the uh, traditional stories that they tell. Is that God was shopping around the law from nation to nation, asking if they would like it. And when they heard that the law would limit their liberty to steal, to murder, to commit adultery, one by one the nations refused the offer. Only the Israelites accepted the Torah sight unseen. This is a traditional story, and I'd never heard the word pronounced, but it looks like Nasah Banishma. We will do and listen. You know, that's the same thing that those believers did in Acts 15. They said to God, we will do and we will listen. We, we, we're not just going to go to church to get God's unmerited favor. Though we're gonna, that's what we need badly. We're going to get that when we go to church. But we're also going go to go to church. And we're going to go to church so we can get to know the power and have the power to know. We're going to find the power to know and do the will of God. And that's going to be a part of our experience. You know, 80% of Americans say you can be a good Christian without being a part of a church. But the only way to reliably know the Holy Spirit is to study the Bible, pray, and talk in community. Don't trust yourself all by yourself. I love the idea. I say it all the time. I love the idea of outsourcing our sanity. What What I mean by that is If you develop the right kind of social environment with people around you who know God and love God, who who read the scripture, and people who with wisdom, you can blurt out really stupid things. And they will tell you that was stupid. And by doing so, you have just outsourced your sanity. So you are a smarter, wiser person. Not because you're smarter, but because you got in community. You got in relationship with other people and you submitted yourself to other people and you joined yourself. Church was not just something you went to and something is, church is not something you just go to. It's something you become. You are the church of Jesus Christ. Lois Tverberg said, even though the early Christian, I'm going to put this up for you, even though the early Jerusalem church emphasized community within only a few centuries, Gentiles bought into the church brought into the church an emphasis on individual piety and private devotion. By A.D. 400, many Christians believed that the hermit's utter solitude was the path to God. Modern Christians, especially American Protestants, still maintain a strong sense of Jesus and me, individualism, emphasizing one's personal relationship with Christ. I believe that's really true. I believe that has happened in the world. That we have so understood, rightfully so, that we need a personal relationship with God, and we do, that we have neglected our communal relationship with God. Notice these new believers, 
these new believers discovered the path for their life in a conversation with the community, with the church. You know, uh, one day last week I was at the gym bulking up. I got that from, th thank you, Bob, for sharing that last week. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm at the gym, and often I guess I'm there, I must be there at the same time, because this, this I, I, I've always got my headphones on listening to podcasts and things like that, and I never listen to what's on the TV. Uh, but since I, I'm hearing impaired, so they have the scroll for the hearing impaired like me. And so I see the script coming across. And, and invariably, there's this show. I didn't even know what it was. That's how naive I am. I didn't know what it was. But I see this show with uh, chiseled, chiseled men and uh, attractive women. And they're, they're together, and they're talking, and every once in a while they're kissing, and all this is happening. And I've, I've learned it's Bachelorette. That's what I learned. I didn't know that to this week. Because I'm, I'm sitting, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm on the elliptical, you know, and I'm, I'm looking up, and these words scroll across the screen. This guy is talking to this girl, and he says, let's talk about sex and how the marriage bed should be kept pure. And let's say you've had sex with, uh, now, by the way, you say, how did you get all this down? I went on the internet and found out there's a transcript. Of the whole stinking thing. Isn't that bizarre that you can get a transcript? So here was the transcript. This is what I saw. Let's just say you've had sex with one of the, one or multiple of these guys. Now, I, I didn't know, but there's all these other guys on the show. And they, these women, I guess, what, they hang out with all these guys, and at the end they choose one, right? Is that how it works? So um, he said, let's say you had sex with one or multiple of these guys. I would be wanting to go home, he said. And here was her response. How dare I be judged by a man? I have had sex and Jesus still loves me. You know the story in the Bible about when the woman was caught in adultery and she's thrown in the village and Jesus is there and it's like, you without sin throw the first stone. What you just did was you're holding your stone up at me and asking and trying to see what I've done. I know that I have God in my heart. And, and, and this, I don't know what this meant, guys, but here's what she said. This is, what, this is her work. Her name is Hannah Brown, by the way, I learned. Some of you know. Some of you watch this. This garbage. <laughs> now, I don't know what a, a fine, I don't know if he's fine, but I don't, know what, I don't know what a Christian young man is doing going on the show to start with. I don't know. But, uh, but we'll give him liberty, right? We'll give him grace. That, that we'll, we'll give him liberty to, we'll say, you can be a Christian and go on the show. We'll do that, right? He said, she said, I know that I have God in my heart, and I know everything that I do and who I am is light. And I am light. Now, I don't know what in the heck that means. I just don't have any idea. But what struck me is whoever Hannah Brown is, she only looked within herself to establish the limits of her liberty. She only looked to her own heart. She didn't consult with the community of, of faith as far as I could tell. 
Now, no thinking person will argue that liberty without limits ends in destruction. But if the church is the body of Christ, as Scripture says, can I really say I've accepted Jesus if I reject the church as a source of counsel? Yes, the church is always to be a safe place for prodigals to come home. Yes, the church is... Let me, let me reiterate that because I don't want any of you to leave here today and think that we would shame anyone for sin because that is not our role. We are not to judge. And yes, the church is always to be a place for prodigals to come home. And I'm so glad it is that. I know that if I were to fail God and sin against the Lord, you would forgive me. I would have no doubt about that. So the church is a place for prodigals to come home, but it's also a place where sons and daughters are sent out. I said it's also a place where sons and daughters are sent out. Years ago, Jerry Cook, I know Jim Meisner, you talk about Jerry Cook a lot, pastored in Oregon, and he wrote about the church being a field, like a mission field, or being a force. A mission field that the pastor and the staff and the leaders of the church are trying to help you in your walk, trying to bring you salvation and grace, which the church is that, by the way. And I don't want it to be, not be that. But Jerry Cook would say the church is also to be a force. And we become a force when we transition from someone who has grace, which is the unmerited favor of God, and also includes grace as the power to know and do the will of God. Now let's look at what happened quite right quickly. Acts chapter 15, verse 30. The men who were sent off and went down to Antioch, this is after they had come to this conclusion, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. You know what the church, you know what we want to do? If we do church right, it, the church will be a source of, of encouragement. The church will be a source of a positive source that will bring healing and power to your life. If those Gentiles had not been given those boundaries, if they had not been given those limits to liberty, imagine the pain and suffering they would have brought to their life because the apostles did not take one thing away from them that if it had been carried out would not have brought pain and suffering to their life. God and the church must always be mindful that we're not creating rules for people just to make us feel virtuous. But we are creating, we are creating standards and we're advocating standards that protect you from the, from the adversary who wants to steal, to kill, and destroy and will keep you mighty and powerful and also give you the power and ability to raise sons and daughters who are mighty and powerful because their parents have discovered liberty in Christ and their parents have discovered the wellspring of counsel and wisdom which is the body of Christ. Amen? A famous preacher named Dwight Moody is known for a saying. The world has yet to see what God will do 
with a man fully consecrated to him. I'd like to paraphrase it and close with this. The world is waiting to see what God will do with a church that is fully consecrated to him. Would you be willing today to become such a church? I want our prayer partners to come. Our communion is available. That communion represents the body of Christ. I feel like there are probably some folks here today who would like to come for prayer, and part of your prayer will be, God, are you connecting me to this body of believers as a place where I can become a recipient of wisdom and counsel and the ability to know and do the will of God? Come and be prayed for today.